0: Welcome! Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey Venture, I hope you had a great Christmas. It was so awesome to be able to worship together in our Christmas Eve services, appreciate all that served, all that were apart, and we're just thankful that we could celebrate together. We're about to turn the corner into a new year, and as I announced in the services, We're going to start a new sermon series in January in the book of Romans, and we want to go through this book because I can't think of a better book to really explain the gospel, the good news. And so it'll be a year as a church where we really live in that space and learn how do we not only understand the gospel, but live it out as well. Now this weekend, I mean, we're right past Christmas, but you turn around and New Year's is right in our face. And as you start thinking about New Year's, for a lot of us, we, we love making plans and resolutions. We, we wanna turn real quickly to, how do I start the year well? Reality is, most resolutions are never followed through. Because as exciting as it is to plan, it's hard to do it. It's hard to put it in practice. And I think one of the reasons we fail the most on resolutions or New Year plans is we put all of our energy into the new thing that we're going to do, but we never take some time to stop and look back at where we are. And so I thought this weekend it would be great if we took some time to end well so that we can begin well, To, to deal with the things that we need to deal with in order to be able to launch the new things we'd love to see in our lives. You know When I talk to parents about parenting, you're having to deal with two different things in parenting. Scripture tells us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. A child is naturally foolish. And so you have to discipline to deal with the foolishness so that you can add the wisdom, so you can teach them. And if you're not willing to do both those things, you, you can put a lot of wisdom in a life. But if the foolishness in their heart has never been dealt with, a lot of times it doesn't go anywhere. Or maybe another example would be sometimes when I'm counseling couples in marriage counseling. I don't do a lot of counseling these days, but I've worked with couples over the years, and, and especially a couple that maybe is in a really damaged place, a toxic relationship. I'll, I'll often tell them, you know, there's a lot of work to be done before you can even start really rebuilding. Because it's become so broken and so toxic, it takes some time to clear that away so that you can then start building some healthier systems and a healthier relationship on top of it. And so they have to be patient in it. I say all that because I want us to get a picture that before we just launch into a new year and think we can add resolutions and add new things, if we don't deal with what's here, if you don't till the soil, And remove the stones, you can't plant new fruit. You can't plant for a new harvest. If you don't deal with what's broken, you often can't rebuild. And so that's why I say again, I think this is an important time of year before we ever get to New Year's. That that if we don't take some time to end well, to think about this year, we're not going to begin the next one well. So I've got some categories I want us to walk through. And it's a little bit different message in that way. Uh, Just some categories and how Scripture informs them so that we could end well. Because we're not just coming to the end of a year. Hopefully we're coming to the end of a really hard season. Hopefully we're coming to the end of COVID. And maybe there's some daylight on the other side of it. And I would hate for us to lose the lessons, some of them painful, that we need to learn and remember and to know in preparation for the season that's ahead. So i got three categories I want you to think about. And then at the end of the message, one of the key ways that we're gonna end this in preparation for a new year is we're gonna take communion together. In fact, as you're watching this online, you might wanna take a moment right now and just pause it. Pause the message and go get some bread, get some wine or some juice, Get those elements prepared so that you can take with me. Because I think it's a great way for us to end one year well and begin another one. So as we think about these three categories, what's the first one? Well, the first one, regrets. Regrets. And and specifically, here's a question I have. Do you have any regrets about this last year? And when I say this last year, maybe it's the last couple of years. Because 2020, 2021, they kind of all blur together. But do you have any regrets about it? Is there anything that just comes to mind when you think, what are the regrets that you're carrying right now? You know, there was a a university in New York, Strayer University. They set up in New York City a blackboard and they just put the question on it. What are your regrets? Listen to what people wrote. Uh, One person wrote burning bridges, never speaking up, not being a good husband, staying in my comfort zone, Not saying, I love you. Never applying to med school. Not making the most of every day. Not being a better friend. Should have spent more time with my family. Uh, You know, as the the list continued, there was a lot of not, not, things I, I didn't do. And then there were a lot of things I wished I had done or should have done. There's a nurse in Australia, Bonnie Ware. She's a palliative care nurse. In other words, she takes care of people at the very end of their lives. And usually she would come in on the last 12 weeks of people's lives. And in it, she said, you know, when when you're in that season, there's a remarkable clarity that comes about what's important. And often her patients would talk about their regrets. She wrote out some of the the key things as she summarized them. Key regrets she heard from people at the end of their lives. Some said, I wish I had the courage to really express my feelings in life. Or, I wish I'd had the courage to live life true to myself and not live life according to what others expected. Several that had had that same thing, I wish I would have. Things that had always stayed on the list of things I was going to do in life and never never got around to it <laughs> one of them that stood out is i wish i wouldn't have worked so hard and, and this is what struck me that that line that i wish i hadn't worked so hard she said i didn't i never had a male patient that didn't say that every single one of the men at the end of their life said i wish i hadn't worked so hard A lot of people said, I wish I'd spent more time with family. And one of the striking ones was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. A lot of deep regret about losing friendships. She said this line, everyone misses their friends when they're dying. It's just universal. You you hear those regrets, especially regrets that come at the end of life. You know, there's a a passage in Ecclesiastes. I've I've always liked this verse. It may feel a little morbid, but it really is a great verse. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. And and then look at this last line. A, A wise person thinks a lot about death. While a fool, thinks only about having a good time. The writer there, again, is not being morbid, but says as you go to a funeral, you can learn a lot more than you'll learn at a party. There's something about it when, when you're reviewing a person's life, it makes you think about your own life. I know it's true for me. I've done a lot of funerals over the years. I've attended a lot. And every time as I listen to someone's life reviewed, In that moment, I start thinking about, how am I living my life? You know, I saw John Piper, he talked about when he comes to the year end, like we're in right now, he always treats every year end, not like it's just the end of the year, but he evaluates it like it's the end of his life. And and he asks himself questions like he would if he was at the very end of his life, so that you can surface what is really important. And even surface some of those regrets. Here's why I say this, and here's the point. As believers, we don't live in our regrets, but we learn from them. That's the beauty of being a Christian. We don't have to stay trapped by regrets. We don't have to live in them. We don't have to act like they're not there. But I'm going to tell you, it's really important that we take some time to learn from them that we reflect on what it really means. I like how Paul puts it in Ephesians 5. Look what he says, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I like that line, he says, make the best use of your time. Make sure that you're using your time, using your life, as a person who has wisdom in light of what God's doing, in light of what God's teaching. You know, John Ortberg talks about a time when he was uh, interviewing his mentor, Dallas Willard. And if you know Willard, I mean, what a godly man, a professor and a pastor and teacher, uh, author of a number of books, The Divine Conspiracy and others. And, And John just asked... Dallas Willard one day, do you have any regrets? What's your greatest regret? And and Willard said, I regret the time I have wasted, which shocked John because John knew him well. He said, if there's anybody I knew that didn't waste time, it was Dallas Willard. He said, he didn't own a TV that I knew of, never watched it. Spent his time either reading or studying or teaching or mentoring. Sometimes he'd do woodwork around the house or he was training someone or writing books. I mean, he said if he wasted time, man, what hope was there for the rest of us. But listen to his words as he describes it. He said, I I think I know what he meant about his regret. Redeem the time, the apostle Paul wrote, because the days are evil. I think Dallas regretted all the time he wasted, not because he compared himself to other more efficient people, but because he began to see what life could be. I remember him saying that all of us lost souls allow ourselves to live in worry and anger and self-importance and pettiness when the life with God is all around us. I, I, I would challenge you As you have some time as we come to this year in. Before you just move into the new goal and the new resolution and the new thing, there's some wisdom in stopping and just looking at your life and allow your regrets to inform you. Regrets are those pain points. And And the things we regret in our life are a good place to not live in them, get stuck in them, but to learn from them. And to learn how to redeem the time. And to learn this life that God has called all around us. And how we can really live in it. First category is regret. Second category I call you to would be repair. And and here's what I mean in that. Are there any relationships you need to repair? I mean, as you're coming out of this year, are there any relationships you need to repair? Now, before you move to other people, let me just stop for a minute And just ask you, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with God right now? And I say that because, again, this has been a strange season and a hard season. And I've talked to a number of people. And the isolation that we felt has not been good for us. A lot of people have pulled back. A lot of people haven't been able to attend church or have chosen not to. And and I'm glad that we can offer this medium. But I, I know for a lot that it becomes harder and harder when you get out of those practices. And you get out of the practice of engaging in church and life and together. And for some that I've talked to, you stop other practices as well. They found themselves, they're not reading the word as much. Feel more disconnected from God. And then you add to that in this season, and you you look out there the numbers that are on the rise of more people struggling with alcohol or with drugs, with worry, with depression. You, You add to that behaviors maybe you found yourself caught up in. I mean, if we're being honest, there's probably somebody watching this. You go, man, I'm struggling with some things sexually. Maybe you crossed some boundaries you shouldn't have. Some people are struggling with anger that you carry in attitudes that just seem to dominate you all the time. Maybe it's something financially. Do you, you look at it and you go, oh man, I can't believe I did that. It can be any number of things. It, it, it may be even as simple as, remember when Jesus wrote the church in Ephesus? He said, man, you're a great church. You're a believing church. You're believing all the right things. Remember what he said about it though? He said, but I have this against you. You left your first love. and you, you don't love Jesus. And after a season like this, maybe you're feeling that, whether it's based on behavior, whether it's based on isolation, whether it's just based on a heart that, that you know in your heart, Man, I, I really am not loving him the way that I should. He's not my first love. And nobody else may know this, but you know, and God knows. And by design, at a soul level, we feel it. We, we feel it because of who God is. I mean, the Scripture describes God, He's light. He's truth. And we were made through Christ to have a relationship with Him, but you can't bring that stuff in without it impacting it. John says it in 1 John. Look look how he puts it. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we're close, we're we're in a close relationship with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. They they just don't exist together. You, You can't say I'm really close to the light when I'm really holding on to some stuff that maybe is dark. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. mean, we can tell ourselves everything's okay, but if you got stuff, John says, you're only fooling yourself. Here's what I love about scripture, though. We have a God who loves us so much that he loves to forgive us. He loves to extend it. He he sees it for what it really is. And and he loves us enough, he's not going to pretend like it's not there. But he always offers forgiveness. I love how John continues just a verse later after this one. He says if we confess confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we stop and, and all it means to confess is we just agree with God about it. We just tell him what's really going on. And he loves to forgive us because of Christ. You know, one of the most powerful stories in the Bible is King David. And David was a man after God's own heart. But David made some really poor choices. Sinful choices. Committed adultery. That really was abusive when you think about his power and how he exerted himself. He had one of his mighty men killed in order to hide it. Broke up a marriage, had a man killed, and then tried to hide it. It took the prophet of God confronting David before he ever even recognized it. And, and I say this because it's a good picture for us of even a person uh, that is after God's own heart. Even someone that, that God would look at and go, that's my man. They can find themselves in sinful places and they can deny it for a while. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been in denial with it and you recognize, man, my relationship with God is not the same. I love Psalm 51 because it's the psalm that David wrote in response. It was his confession. Look what he writes in it. He says, created me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. He, he confesses, things aren't right within me. as so I need you to clean me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. I, I love the rawness of it, the honesty of it, and just the humility of recognizing, God, I can't do this to myself. You have to do it. You know, I say that because I I saw a number of year-end articles with advice for how you should end the year well. And over and over again, I saw it in in a few sources that that the writer would say, you know, one of the key things you need to do to go into the new year, you need to forgive yourself. you got to learn to forgive yourself. And, And I love the sentiment of what they're saying of, man, you can't carry that junk with you. But here's the problem. If I'm the person that was guilty of the wrong thing, how can I be the person that also forgives it? How can I change anything? The reality is you can't. Folks, if if we're the sinner, if we're the one that we're dealing with the darkness, as much as I may try to forgive myself, at a soul level, I know it doesn't take, unless someone who's just and right forgives me. And I love that John makes that promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. I, I'd encourage you. Some of you may need to take some time before you go into a new year and just examine, and confess, and embrace the forgiveness. See, we can receive forgiveness. We just can't give it to ourselves. So ask him for it. And receive it. And then as you do that, the second part of this, just in your repair, how's your relationship with others? And and I'll just ask that because I've heard enough stories. I've seen it enough. A lot of close relationships have frayed over the last year, year and a half. A lot of families and extended families have really been impacted by all the disagreement. And, and people that were really close have really pulled apart. And they disagree and they see life differently. And they're very passionate about it. And you may be passionate about that. Here's all I would tell you. We're going to get past COVID one day, believe it or not. We're going to get past some of these things. And I think a lot of people are going to regret the time lost, was people they loved. And regret the division that came over it. And and so I would just ask you, as you think about your relationships with others, is there anybody you need to forgive? Or maybe somebody you need to ask for their forgiveness. See, that's the thing about Christianity. Forgiveness is at the heart of, of our unity. Because we're we're not united because we all saw life the same way. We're united because all of us were forgiven by Jesus. And so if it's his forgiveness that brought us together, shouldn't it be forgiveness that keeps us together? It's what Scripture teaches. Look how Paul puts it. Paul says, "Put Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. These are all things he's saying. If if you're going to be the family of God, man, you need to be kind people. You need to be compassionate. You need to be humble people. You need to be meek, patience, bearing with one another. And, And then look at this. If anyone has a complaint against another, Paul's not naive. He realizes we disagree. Things come up. You're going to have a complaint against someone. They did you wrong, or maybe you did them wrong. What's your response to it? Forgive each other. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. See, we have the power to forgive because Jesus forgave us. And Jesus knew this was going to be such a fundamental part of our life. It's always interesting in the Lord's Prayer, when He's teaching us how to pray, look at this line that He says should always be a part of our prayer and forgive us our debts, we're always going to have to ask for forgiveness from God. As we also have forgiven our debtors, we're always going to have somebody to forgive. And I I just implore some of you, these relationships, I mean, as you heard the regrets of people at the end of their life, what did they say? Man, I wish i kept my friendships. I, I wish... I'd spent more time with family. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that would say, I wish I'd forgiven. We'd forgiven each other. And we'd repair that relationship. Maybe now's the time to step into that. Maybe now's the time to embrace that. And and I'm not saying that to diminish your disagreements or even your hurt. But the power of Christ's forgiveness gives us the ability to forgive in amazing ways. In fact, I saw part of a memorial service from a couple of weeks ago for a police officer in the Dallas area who was slain in the line of duty. And in the service, it was at Lake Point Church, great church in Dallas. I I was amazed as I listened to his daughter, as she shared not, not only her feelings, but about the man who took her father's life. I want you to watch part of this with me.
1: I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me, but as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion, and part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father, but I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father, not to scream at him. Not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about
0: Jesus. Wow, what a powerful message. And and I don't know about you, as I watched that, I, I just thought the power for her to extend that kind of forgiveness and that care. Folks, if there's someone you need to repair your relationship with, They may not deserve the forgiveness. But as the children of God, we can give it because we've been forgiven. There's freedom that comes in that. And there's repair. I I got one last category I want you to uh, think about as we finish this year. Remember. Remember. What do you need to remember? And even as I say that, some of you go, I've heard it described these last two years are like a dumpster fire. So some of you are going I don't want to remember this And, and I would just challenge you um, if you look in scripture there's power in memory. there's power in remembering and, and in fact our our memories give us a depth even at a soul level. you know I was reading about a striking example. there's a doctor Oliver Sacks, who had a patient, who suffered from Korsakoff's disease, a uh, terrible disease that impacts the memory with, with what can be dreadful amnesia. And he writes about one of his patients, Jimmy. Jimmy is forty nine years old. Dr. Sachs comes in to meet him, and Jimmy extends his hand and says, "Oh, great to see you. You and me to sit in this chair?" And he says, "Great." And as they sit down together, and he starts to ask Jimmy questions, he answers him. He's very pleasant. The problem is Jimmy has no memory from the time of 1945 to 1975 when this incident took place. All of it's gone. He doesn't know he's a 49-year-old man. Doesn't know he's married. In fact, as Dr. Sachs writes about it, He said he remembered his childhood home, his friends, his school, the Navy, which he joined in 1943. He was stationed on a sub. He could remember Morse code. He recalled vividly his service in the Navy through the end of the war in 1945. But that's where the memories stopped. They completely stopped. Jimmy couldn't remember anything from 45 to 75. He thought that Truman was president. He thought the periodic table stopped with uranium that no one had been to the moon. He had no recollection of anything that had happened more than a few minutes past. He thought he was 19 years old. And you can imagine his surprise when Dr. Sachs handed him a mirror. And he looked in the mirror expecting to see a face of a 19-year-old. And he saw a 49-year-old man with bushy hair. His face went ashen. He he, he muttered out, he said, "What, what is going on? Is this a nightmare? What are you doing? Dr. Sachs calmed him down and had him go step over to the window. For a couple of minutes, Jimmy looked outside. And then when he turned around, he looked at Dr. Sachs and he said, Oh, good to meet you. You want me to sit in this chair? They said you wanted to talk to me today. And he's ready to do the same conversation again. Listen how Dr. Sachs describes him. Over the next nine years, he saw him and he would reintroduce again and again. He, he would struggle with any complex things, loved to play something simple like checkers, that it required no forethought. Sock says, I had never encountered or even imagined such a power of amnesia, the possibility of a pit into which everything, every experience, every event would fathomlessly drop. The staff at the home, the convalescent home where he lived, Referred to poor Jimmy as a lost soul. Because nothing stuck. I thought about that phrase, a a lost soul. There was something at a soul level that he had lost with his memory. I, I give you that extreme example. Because I hope that you embrace the fact that our memories make us. Even the painful memories. Maybe especially the painful memories. And so as we come to the end of a year and the end of a season, it's a good time to remember. As I say that, what do I mean specifically? We need to remember what God's been teaching us. There's lessons God has taught you this year. There's lessons that God has taught through the experiences. There's lessons that God has taught through the pain. You know, one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Deuteronomy. And in it, Moses is, is saying goodbye to the children of Israel. They're about to go into the land of promise. He's been leading them for 40 years in the desert. 40 hard years. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, he, he, Deutero means second, Namos means law. He's saying the law again. He's reminding them again what God has taught them. And if you read through that book over and over again, he uses the word remember. You guys need to remember. In fact, look look how he puts it in verse 4, chapter 4. He says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. He, He tells them right at the beginning of the book, he goes, I don't want you to forget what you've seen. You need to take it to heart. You need to let it shape you. And you need to teach your children about it. And I would say the same is true for us. There are lessons that you've learned. There's things that we've seen the last two years. There's things we've seen in the world. There's things we've seen in our lives. There's things we've seen that God has been doing that we would do well to stop at this time and remember it. And remember it in a way that we rehearse it. And remember what God's done. And so I I would just encourage you, don't lose those lessons. Those ways that he showed up. And especially this, remember when he showed up in the hard times as well. Maybe he didn't show up in the way you wanted him to. But this is where I'd say as well, we need to, when we remember, we need to remember how much God cares for us. And, And I would just really ask you to spend some time thinking about this. and The reason I say this is when we go through hard times, when you go through seasons, especially like the last year, the last two years, one of the ways the enemy attacks the most he he loves to get us in isolation we talked about that, get us to pull back from the people we love and when you feel the pain of life, he loves to whisper in our ear, God doesn't care about you. God's forgotten about you. God's not thinking about you. And sometimes that discouragement is what causes us to pull back that much more. You know, one of my favorite psalms, I love the psalm that it describes. It says, and he's talking to God, he says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Uh, That that little line, you collected my tears in your bottle. You know, archaeologists have found from that time period, little bottles, little glass bottles, they have kind of a trumpeted end on it, that people would use them to literally collect their tears. And they'd put a stopper in it. And and the the bottle and the tears would be a memorial to maybe the person that died and you cried over. Or the, the event that you went through. A way of remembering that season and the importance of it. Look again what David is saying. He's saying this to God. He says, you've collected my tears in the bottle. Folks, you know what he's saying in that moment? That your tears matter to God. That wasn't just wasted. That maybe you've cried a lot of tears over the last two years. And I I want you to hear this. God cares. God knows. That's why Peter tells us that we can literally give all of our anxiety, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And maybe as you're finishing this hard season, you need to remember what God's done, but you also need to remember that God cares. The final thing I would just have us remember, because I can't think of a better thing to do as we finish this year, I would say for all of us, we need to remember what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's where all of it comes together. That's why Paul wrote us, he describes it, he says, I received from the Lord Jesus what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. He took the bread, gave it to his disciples. But look why he gave it to them. He says, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to do this act. I want you to eat this bread. I want you to have this tangible way of remembering. He goes on. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, remember what I did for you. Remember what happened on the cross. And and I love that Jesus, knowing us, he he doesn't just tell us to cognitively remember, like file it away, remember the story. He says, no, do this physically, because he knows by physically doing, it triggers something in us. It, it helps us. It's visceral. You feel it. You taste it. You remember. And in the memory, you, you rehearse again. Look what he says. For often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You tell the world, and you tell yourself what he did for you. You know, Jimmy, we read about the disease that he had, Korsakoff's disease, and he couldn't remember things. But Dr. Sack saw him one day as he went to take communion. L- listen to his words as he describes it. He says, fully, intensely, quietly, in the quietude of absolute concentration and attention, he entered and partook of the Holy Communion. He was wholly held. There was no Korsakoff's in that moment he was no longer at the mercy of meaningless sequences and memory traces. But was absorbed in an act of his whole being. Said, in that moment, it wasn't just the patterns in his brain. His whole body. His engagement. He was able to remember, even in that, what Christ has done. Folks, it all comes back to the cross. See, at the cross, we deal with our regrets. At the cross, we repair our relationship with God. and can repair with each other. At the cross, we see what God's doing and we remember how much he cares. So as we finish out this year together as a church, I'm going to ask you to join me as we remember Jesus. Through a simple but profound act, we take together His body broken for us. Likewise, we take together His blood shed for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his sacrifice. I thank you that at the cross, we are freed from a life of regret because he gives us a new beginning. Lord, I thank you at the cross, you've repaired our relationship because we have forgiveness from you and we can forgive each other. Lord, I pray for anybody today. Maybe this has been a really hard year. It's hard for them to stop and to think about it in this way. I pray you'd meet them, that they would know that you're near and know that you care. Lord, as we enter into a new year, we recognize how much we desperately need you. And so we thank you that you have brought us this far. We thank you for the hope we have in you. We thank you for what 2022 will bring, no matter what it is. We thank you because you are our God and we are your people. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.